Hey there. Normally, I begin the episodes with a call to actions, you know, related to money, like the uh, like the Patreon of the store, stuff like that. Uh, but I want to let you know there is a way to help out the show that's even easier and cheaper than that, which is to go and spread the word. We do not pay to advertise uh, the show uh, whatsoever, pretty much. You know, like a lot of their podcasts, we get by on word of mouth. So if you have a social media presence or if you have a blog or you post on message boards and it becomes uh, clear that there is an appropriate time to help promote the show, just say, hey, uh, there's this podcast about these books that I like, and uh, I hope that you enjoy it too, et cetera, and on down the line. I'm presuming you enjoy the show. That is an unfair assumption to make. Uh, makes a huge difference for us, uh, helps it grow, helps the network grow. Um, and I really appreciate everybody who uh, has taken the time to do so already. Let's, uh, let's get to the show. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books. I'm your host, Cole Ross, and I am joined today uh, by two people. We have Autumn Greer. Delighted to be here. And we have Evan Jones-Thorne. Uh, similarly delighted. Yeah. Rolling with a quorum of three due to some scheduling problems, but I am perfectly happy with this because um uh, both evan and autumn two uh two, two, two contributors who have been here for a while and we have some amazing uh source material uh to pull from talking about um uh, the, the the prisoner the second part of the prisoner specifically two chapters dealing with eddie dean our new friend pos question mark um <laughs> those two chapters being the tower and uh showdown and shootout um, very action-packed, very dense chapters. Um, lots of uh, lots of dialogue. Lots of uh, lots of people getting their get, getting them uh, parts of themselves turned into fine red mist. Yeah, this uh, this one gets real weird pretty quickly. <laughs> it's a it's it's a lot of hands and butts and a lot of uh, lots of heads blowing up. Yeah, it ends up making yeah. what we saw in Tull look really weak. Like, oh, yeah, some people got shot. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a line of women and children all running at you. And there was a dude <laughs> crucified on the, on the ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> about that. Without without stepping on your toes, Cole, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it's very, very fitting that this episode begins with Eddie sitting in a chair in his underpants surrounded by strange men. <laughs> yeah, he's the uh Eddie is the Brian Cranston of Dark Tower characters. He kind of always ends up in his underwear or less. Um <laughs> something like that, mostly naked. Um this the, the this whole thing, you know, even more so than than the last leg that we talked about with Eddie where, you know, he was trapped in a very, you know, kind of impossible situation trying to get uh try, trying to talk his way out of things. Um, you know, even more so than that, like the stakes are raised up infinitely. And when we talk about him being, you know, pinned into a, an airplane bathroom at the end of last, last episode. Um, yeah, we're talking about the stakes being kind of nuts. What, uh, what, what made the two of you want to kind of, uh, sign, sign on for this, uh, for this particular section? 
I think for me, I mean, this is like the ultimate shoot 'em up kind of like we touch a little bit on the mafia. I mean, it's a good old fashioned almost police procedural. I mean, this is, I think, one of the sections that's going to if they do ever make a literal film adaptation of it, this is going to be a fun couple of episodes to watch. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Evan, how about you? It's I, I mean, the. The entire Eddie section is just kind of crazy, and I, I really, I really enjoy Eddie as a character. I kind of mentioned last time, and I really was excited about the idea of kind of seeing his introduction through, and uh, especially because of just how strange and upsetting it gets at the end. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and we're th- th- that's going to bleed over into the beginning of the next episode just a j- j- just a little bit. But um, the way that we leave this section of getting Eddie kind of into Roland's world, um, it, it leaves a lot unresolved. And uh, boy, I just have so much sympathy for him. <laughs> I think what's really cool about this is kind of the juxtaposition because we've seen Roland being Mr. Cool Cucumber throughout the entire series so far. Mm-hmm. And Eddie's cool, too. He's just cool in the complete opposite way. <laughs> I mean, he's he's sitting there in a bathroom on a plane, like the stewardesses, the captain, everyone's over there. And he's cracking jokes about his penis size. I mean, he's cutting up. Yeah. Eddie's just fun. Yep. <laughs> So let's uh, let's get right to it. So I alluded to this last time, but uh, the previous episode, we began the book with Roland on a beach getting his hand munched to bits by lobstrosities. Um, if I say lobster, I have to put a dollar in a jar. Oh, shit. I've got to do it now in the <laughs> lobster jar. Um, they're always lobstrosities from now on. Um, and, um, Roland, I think I missed something. Is that, is that, uh, did you, did you get in trouble on the slack or something? No, I, (laughs) at at the end of the last episode, I accidentally said lobster instead of lobstrosity, uh, which I have to, I have to agree with whoever called me out cannot stand. That's a fair point. (laughs) So, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're just gonna have to deal with that. But, uh, uh, so kind of poisoned, infected, delirious, starving, uh, dying of thirst, et cetera. He wanders up and finds a door into Eddie Dean's head, uh, on a plane smuggling cocaine, not intentionally rhyming there. And we left as, uh, Eddie was being hauled away to customs, uh, for uh, carrying cocaine that he's not actually carrying anymore. Um, and yeah, you kind of set it up. We begin with him in this uh, in this room, kind of on the edge of getting the shakes or the jitters, whatever happens uh, when you are entering heroin withdrawal. Eddie wanted to jitter and jive. Eddie wanted to hop and bop as these smoking guys are just real dicks to him. I thought there was a great line in there where they were talking about how, you know, obviously we, we have Eddie, the the drug addict, but. He says that these guys are junkies too, but their drug is busting criminal or their drug is busting criminals. Yeah, their 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 drug their uh, their junk is people like me or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, pretty much everything I know about drug use that I didn't get from something like Train Spotting or a movie like that, I pretty much got from this book. I mean, I'm like, okay, great. You know, junkies shouldn't shoot up next to their solar plexus. That's not a great idea. Yeah. Oh, by, by my testicles. That's a great place for me to shoot up if I think I'm going to maybe get interrogated. Yep. It's just little life hacks, you know, little little words to the wise. Exactly. Yeah. No, I just, uh, it, it, it probably, yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was a very informative text. Uh, yeah. 
it's a in a yeah depressing kind of way but like they go through all of this and like eddie is able to like i don't know he, he's he's kind of like uh what is what is that move in football tell me about football please a stiff arm or something like that like every time <laughs> they come at him he just he just rolls him straight away and you you see the blueprint for like Jack Bauer on twenty four or something like when that one guy gets in his face like I'm sick of punks like you getting lawyers. I mean like <laughs> yeah. if they could like pull a lamp apart and shock him, you know that they'd be doing it <laughs> yeah. just like twenty four. Yeah, these guys not an awful lot of regard for the Constitution. Uh, I'll <laughs> sick my lawyer and you. That crap makes me want to puke. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of the the, the way we run things here. Well, I don't know. It's hitting a little close to home right now. I mean, you now that that <laughs> I was about to go there, but uh, but yes, that that is that that, that is true. Hey, Just kind of the way we the, the not, way we do things. Not for my now. podcast network. I can't get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of stuff is in question. Uh, but yeah, they uh they, they they reach into Eddie like he's a Christmas stocking. Um, <laughs> this this line. Oh my gosh! If a prostate check is an exam, that was a motherfucking safari. I was scared to look down. I thought I'd see that guy's fingernail sticking out of my cock. <laughs> like this guy's great. It just reminds me that I probably don't want to smuggle any jugs anytime soon. No, you know, no. It's a uh... yeah. That's that's kind of my constant takeaway every time I I read this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> but but again like the the you know i i don't tend to have an awful lot of sympathy for these guys because they're kind of giving them the runaround but um but like they are dealing with an impossibility right and eddie has to has to try and talk his way out of an impossibility while also um suffering from heroin withdrawal or at least the early stages of it and knowing that the fact that he got popped means that he is in a world of shit even if he does get out He's lucky that he didn't get like there's one line in there about what I didn't get from Miami Vice I got from the Reader's Digest and I mean he's lucky he didn't get jacked in the jaw right there right <laughs> Yep You know like somebody's supervisor is going to have to come in and pull him off of Eddie right there because if I were an officer and I was I was trying to shake this guy down oh my gosh I would lose it right there and I'm a really nice person Yeah You you just start wailing on a 20 yeah. 21 year old kid a child yeah. Autumn <laughs> Yeah yeah, so he's got them stumped, you know. Well, they, they say, "All right, well, uh, oh, the, what he does to actually get them off of his tail." I, I forgot to take a note of this. What he tells him is, "Hey, I want you guys uh, to all you know, like if, if you come in here and take my blood, you're all going to have to be tested for the same thing." Like again, I this love kind of that part. this kind of it's a it's a little bit of a juvenile understanding of the way that works. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, th I think I think that's a chess move, right? Like the Gary Kasparov pee in a cup defense. What? Like like the opening move? Like I mean that that's that's a that's a pretty good strategy, right? Like uh, we'll just keep that in mind. Like if anyone ever says, you know, Autumn, we want a drug test, I'll be like, well, you take a drug <laughs> test too. Just everybody <laughs> in the room, the building. <laughs> I said the the way the way you phrase that the Gary Kasparov pee in a cup uh, maneuver. I, I'm maybe... sure that's a chess move, right? There's a lot of chess moves. And they I mean, all they're, have they're, funny they're, names. There are more uh, more chess moves than there are stars in the sky or atoms yeah, in the universe or something crazy like that. There's the queen's gambit and there's the pee in the cup. Yeah, the the, the way you said that made me think that uh, Kasparov was known for peeing in a cup at the uh, <laughs> at, at the table just because he was that focused and dedicated. I'm sure they drug test all those like chess grandmasters, you know. But they've got to all be hopped up on and on like experimental like, like performance enhancing right? drugs. Like everybody's all roided up up there, like hitting the clock really hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. 
Yeah, little little known fact though, uh, Kasparov he he would pee in a cup at the table, but it wasn't because of dedication. He was just kind of a freak that way. Right. I mean, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> there's something there, there. There's a really cool uh, radio lab about that. I think it was a radio lab. Something about the book and about how it just it kind of kind of without fail, people who get really really into high level chess play kind of lose their minds because they have to keep all that stuff in their head. Uh, who knows? It could have been some radio lab fluff, but. But yeah, Eddie gets out and, you know, he's got people from uh, people from the mafia coming after him, you know, t- tailing him. He's got uh, he's pretty sure DEA. And also he has this door kind of following him around like a like a puppy. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought one thing was interesting because, you know, they're they're in the cab. They're being tailed. And Eddie goes back to his place in Brooklyn or. Mm-hmm. But there was one place in particular, uh, I guess he lives in Co-op City. And when I read it again this time, that name kind of stuck in my head. And I was like, why do I know this? It's kind of a weird piece of trivia. But um, the son of Sam Killer, David Berkowitz, also was from Co-op City and was probably living there for a couple years of overlap with the time that Eddie was there. Huh. Um, like, because it's Eddie's time in 1987, and I, I couldn't find any crimes or anything that were big news that happened then. But um, the big crime that happened in Jake's year in 1977 uh, was the Kitty Genovese thing, you know, the bystander effect thing. But um, and then also the Son of Sam thing would have been kind of more in Jake's time as well. It, it was just interesting that I don't know, just another guy with two famous murders were kind of in that co-op city Bronx area. <laughs> In times that we see in the book. And I, yeah. I couldn't find anything in 1987 besides Stephen King releasing like three novels at once. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think this might what be a crime. A, the, <laughs> this I, I, I need to I need to reread my copy of on writing for a lot of reasons. I need to figure out exactly when he was the most depraved with his uh, alcohol and drug use. Because, like, he was so prolific in this era from, like, the mid-80s through to the through the mid-90s that I kind of pin it there, but I'm not exactly sure when he got and, sober. And this this one year that Eddie's in, because um, I, I looked it up, it was Eyes of the Dragon, which we talked about before, Misery, and then the Dark Half, all in one year he knocked out. Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of the man's output. <laughs> But um, you say, hey, uh, maybe uh, maybe Berkowitz, that was the son of Sam guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe Berkowitz was there. Well, Berkowitz was in the co-op city that's in uh, that's in the Bronx. This is in Brooklyn. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's Ooh, a, is, is that a spoiler? That's not a spoiler. It's just <laughs> it's just something. Uh, a, let, let's an just interesting call, piece of trivia. Let's call it a disparity that people might want to remember for more reasons than just the association with the with the son of Sam. Is it Son of Sam or Summer of Sam? I think Son of Sam is a Seinfeld thing. Mm. I think he was very busy in A Summer, though. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I can't tell where the Seinfeld ends in the This is, this is the hard part about being born in the 80s is sometimes your cultural literacy, it's almost there. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you get it like, You're so close. You get a third hand from reruns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, get, they get back there and then, oh boy, here we are. We have a pizza truck coming up. Something bad's going to happen. But mm-hmm. let's get a flashback to what's happening on the other side of that door. With, and uh, now that I know that there's a, a jar for it, we got to be really careful what we say mm. <laughs> with some lobstrosities. Yes, the lobstrosities uh, <laughs> uh, crawling up and did a chicken and data chumming uh, over Roland's body as he 
uh, kind of crawls away. And we get another one of these uh, delightful interactions between Roland and the artifacts of our world. It's basically the first Thor movie up in this piece because (laughs) because that's a really good comparison. (laughs) I hadn't thought of that. Or just like just just like any of those like uh what was that Earl Schwarzenegger movie where he was like uh it was Hercules in modern day or something like that? Yeah, isn't that isn't that most Arnold Schwarzenegger movies? Uh, I think so. Yeah, or or, <laughs> or your Jungle to Jungle or your Jungle to Jungle two back to the back to the jungle um, to, to Jungle too Furious. Yes, <laughs> that's where they could they couldn't get Tim Allen for that one, but they got French Stewart on it. It was fine. Um, <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, but uh, but but Eddie, you know, thinking, hey, this guy's in a bad way, gets him some aspirin, which Roland calls Aston, um, and also some good old-fashioned American hot dogs and Pepsi. <laughs> There's a line in there that cracked me up, because I think Roland literally says to Eddie, put the Aston on the meat things, and I'm someone that personally, I, I love to cook. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that about 80% of cooking is putting Aston on meat things. <laughs> I mean, that is it right there. Yeah. Like in a nutshell, like Escoffier, Aston on meat things. Yeah. He he found it. Yeah. There, there, there's an elemental truth. <laughs> I, I funny enough, actually had kind of the same, the same reaction reading through it this time. And I, I haven't really caught that before. I've always just thought it was kind of a funny throwaway line, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> That that is that is much of the creative process in general. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Putting uh, Aston on meat things. Well, it's it's it's, yeah. a, it's the synthesis. It's the it's the collision between Aston and meat things, um, and it's <laughs> it's the collision between b- between the Aston, this uh, magic medicine, magic and or medicine, uh, this Pepsi, which is way too sweet and probably does as much to help him as anything, and these gutter leavings that he calls the. <laughs> The, the, the meat things, the, the 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 popkins. He does not. He does not relish the idea of eating dog. I thought it was really weird that it was Pepsi and not Coca Cola. Like I feel like if Roland had stayed there for another five years, he would have been like me when I go to Taco Bell. Like, oh, only Pepsi products. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I'll just have a bottle of water. See, like, it's. It's it's pretty funny because because for for a certain period of time you're they ask hey well what, what would Pepsi be okay you're like ah well whatever whatever and then the answer is and eventually the answer becomes no yeah if if, <laughs> yeah. if we had just got to see Roland stay a little longer I we know, could have seen right? him get all snobby like ugh well, I don't want that meat thing ugh <laughs> is that, is that a Pepsi Hebrew, is that a Hebrew national meat thing <laughs> exactly and I'm sorry well this well, well this Coca Cola um this this is the Mexican stuff right I need that pure cane <laughs> exactly pure. nothing goes with a popkin like an ice cold Coca Cola yeah from from yeah, Magus. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is interesting or or not, but uh, so you know, feel free to cut it if it's a really stupid, pointless story. But have um, you listened to the show? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's why I say I'm not sure. That's why I'm, that's why I'm going for it anyway. Go for it, man. Uh, I worked at a restaurant for a long time that had Pepsi products, and I'd always get mildly annoyed as a server if somebody asked for a Coke. I'd say, "Is Pepsi okay?" and they'd say, "No." But now, uh, not that long later, I've totally become that person because i'm uh i'm i'm one of those those sorts that goes for the zero calorie sodas Mm -hmm. and pepsi replaced the artificial sweetener in all of their no calorie sodas with uh sucralose which is splenda and uh that basically if i have uh 
like a soda's worth of Splenda, mm -hmm. it makes my uh, cholesterol for some reason roughly triple. Jesus. Like, yeah. And that's like like some people just you you, you can't you, you can't do that. <laughs> and so now I, I go to restaurants. It's like, oh, can I have a can I have a Diet Coke? Is Diet Pepsi okay? Actually, no. yeah. You know, I didn't uh, think about that. If if Roland spends five years in our world, you know, because he's so lean and spare and chiseled, he's probably going to be like like all of us and just, you know, like put on like maybe like 15, 20 pounds pretty yeah. quickly. So he probably will be asking for Coca-Cola products like, <laughs> hey, guys, come on, <laughs> please. <laughs> Roland's trying to lose a pound and, and not just from my fingers like before. Yeah. He doesn't have he doesn't have many more finger pounds to give up. Exactly, he's like, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll take a diet coke, please. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm just picturing uh, Roland played by young Clint Eastwood in the uh, Ben Ben Stiller's makeup from the end of Dodgeball. <laughs> yeah, that'd do it. <laughs> well. As bizarre as it seems to us that uh, that that it's a Pepsi, remember this is the 1980s, and that was when uh, that that was when all of this was uh, all the Pepsi mania, the Pepsi generation had swept the swept the uh, swept the world precisely because of what Roland likes about this, which is there is so much sugar in here that he believes the priest of customs should outlaw it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, getting back to it, like I know that we're like dwelling on the on on this kind of just the the the, the funny way that King writes these kind of collisions or interactions between be, between the Aston and the meat thing, um, but uh, I don't know. It's 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 good for a cheap laugh, I think. You know, eventually, what's funny about New York City is eventually a priest of customs stops letting you buy giant Pepsis, right? Like, didn't yeah. they have the the drink size laws and things like that? Some regulations, so you couldn't have super jumbo, extra large Pepsis. Yeah, the uh, uh, the the good man comes in, acts <laughs> like he knows what you acts like he knows what's good for you. <laughs> but um but yeah this uh this revives him and he's not sure if it's the if it's the aspirin or the or the sugar in the pepsi that kind of gives him a a, a, a new lease on life so he goes from <laughs> he, he goes from being near comatose to eventually we're going to see here in probably 20 minutes of of story time being ready to just completely just tear through some people but um roland has some reservations about Eddie in his mind, like again, we get this, we get this whole thing of people speaking, speaking to you through, you know, in your mind, either through memory or through these doors or um, any number of ways. Court speaks to him and says, "Hey, Eddie's a weak vessel. Uh, and the reason they took him is neither false nor base. They're stealing him. I dispute it not. But hey, he's like hacks. You know, don't make the mistake of putting your heart near his hand. So this is probably Roland talking through Court's voice." to himself trying to tell him not to get close to Eddie like he did to Jake. And there's a line, I don't know if it's in here or maybe a few pages later where Eddie's kind of thinking about Roland and he's like, I suspect that in time I could love him. Like I love my brother. Mm -hmm. These guys like in the quartet fall in love. Like I did in junior high school. Like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, Eddie talked to me for 10 minutes. I bet we're going to get married. You, you know, like, yeah, I, I had a, I had a note about that, that exact line too. And, it it kind of gave me the uh yeah like the the junior high fall in love sort of vibe but more than that it it really struck me that henry as eddie's standard for loving another human mm -hmm. just how 
messed up and dysfunctional their relationship was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just kind of feel like that's th- there's some very interesting connotations with where the series goes with Roland's and Eddie's relationship. And I'm yeah. trying to measure my words so that I don't <laughs> get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I've. I feel like Roland, or Roland, Stephen King rather, really loves his screw ups. Like, like you, if you can tell from his writing that he respects his Rolands, or like if we're talking about the stand, his Stu Redmonds, mm-hmm. but he loves his funny screw ups, like Eddie or like Larry Underwood in the stand. Like he's got a deep affection for these guys. I mean, he he can tell he loves to write them. He loves to put jokes in their mouths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also like they 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 seem to serve. I know he mentioned this last episode, I think, but he's, you know, they seem to serve uh, a very good kind of outsider, almost a reader stand in role, almost mm-hmm. like they like the, the fast talking one, the incredulous one always falls into like the role of the of the reader in the writer's mind. And so like they serve as a good mouthpiece, you know, specifically Eddie does for like how crazy <laughs> this stuff, uh, the, the things that are going on are. And so, and, and so, like what Eddie says, you know, Stephen King assumes that either we think or he wants us to think. That's that's great that the funny character is all of the readers, like Mary Sue, because <laughs> that's the thing is, like everybody, even if they're not funny, everybody thinks that they're funny. Oh yeah, like like everybody thinks deep down, man, I am so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yep, some people start podcasts about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the back of that on the back of that uh mis, mi, misguided notion um but yeah there's definitely uh, a streak of codependence in 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 Eddie and you know again it's that notion of hey you know if, if I fell in love with him or I could come to love with him kind of roll my eyes at that a little bit like it's uh it feels a little bit either too pat or like it's using a very strong word when a more precise one probably and here and give like like backseat writing it or whatever but it's like that could be less ambiguous i think yeah i i agree with that yeah but um you know there we go they they're both kind of at arm's length at the moment as we snap back to present and we're introduced to and we're introduced to these um uh kind of two mobster characters uh cole vincent and uh, Jack Double Ugly and Alini, um, who kind of take take Eddie in with uh, this, with with his passenger. This is where we get into the sweet mobster aspect of it. I, it <laughs> it really is fun. Like these are just the most well realized, like just like stock mafioso kind of characters. Like I mean, it's like you're watching Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, I always kind of find myself wishing that this section was uh, a little bit longer, or that these characters were spread out over more of the chapter. Yeah. They're a little, um, I kind of wish they weren't coded so heavily like Italian American mafia kind of thing. Like I understand it's New York, it's the eighties. I can't help but read these as like a combination of, um, oh gosh, like Fat Tony's mafia and the Simpsons and the Don Botts mafia and Futurama a little bit. I, I think there's like a line in there about, um, a mustache Pete, which was a term I had never heard. Um, and I had to look up. Is it a uh, thing? Steven- it, apparently a mustache pete is what everybody like if you watch boardwalk empire or anything like that it's what all the young guys like lucky uciano called the old mafiosos that mm-hmm. didn't want to do anything different and get into the heroin game and stuff like that like <laughs> oh yeah all these mustache petes and <laughs> stephen king seems to have this encyclopedic knowledge of all of these 
if they're not racial slurs or things like that. I mean, he's got a really deep well of terms that I like. I often have to look up and I won't be repeating any of them on this podcast, but <laughs> my, my dude knows some really dated terms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that seems like a like a product product of somebody who was really tuned in into a particular kind of trashy media in a very particular time and place in America. That's what I think is he must have read all these old pulp novels from the like 40s, 50s or earlier or anything. Um, you know, certainly not what I what I read in my senior English class because um, I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? Good old yeah. Google. <laughs> Yeah, I had no idea what a mustache Pete was. The way he used it to describe uh, Balazar later on, because all these all these guys are funny caricatures. Um, the way he used it to describe him is more like his physical appearance. The fact that he's, you know, just kind of like real stocky, like he like you know comes from a kind of like a peasant line almost. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think from the get go when we talk about these guys, like you can tell that Eddie, he really is too smart to be hanging out with these guys. Oh yeah. Like, and you, you see how his brother pulled him into it because his brother is, well, he's not doing well. No, no, we get a, we, we get a little cutaway of this. So, you know, again, we have this kind of parallel action going on. Um, Henry is on the nod in the back room of this place with, uh, with the gentleman in, in quotes playing trivial pursuit. But in his stupor, he, uh, he keeps answering Johnny Cash to all the questions. <laughs> Um, and so I said, Hey, you can't say Johnny cash to everything. Henry says, Johnny cash is everything. And like the guys are cracking up. Like he's just as funny as Eddie, but not in a way like Eddie where everyone's laughing with him. You know? Right. Yeah. This, this scene always kind of reminded me of, uh, I mean, like obviously the, the gentlemen are being mean spirited with it, but it, this, this scene's always kind of bummed me out because it always reminded me of, uh, in college when, there'd be somebody who maybe hadn't really had much experience with alcohol or whatever would get carried away and people would just kind of have a good time at their expense instead of facilitating a good time for them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just something like I was fortunate enough to, for the most part, avoid that sort of thing. But that sort of thing always bummed me out. And this, this whole scene and especially with, uh, with how, how South it goes, how, and how abruptly it goes there. Um, it, it, it's a very off putting, like sub scene, subplot. It's uh, it's, it's really dark in a queasy way because we know, again, we know at the beginning that, that he dies. We know the, we know the, uh, kind of means of his death, you know, like, oh, he took the, took his last rocket, right? Like these guys are keeping him shot up. You know, so he doesn't, you know, get up and try and do anything like, hey, we'll we'll keep you fixed, you know, to the point where you're debilitated until we figure out what's going on with your brother. And just like we just know, like, hey, any of this could be the last. So while it is being while it's being played kind of for comedy, right? Like this is this is a farcical situation like this is bad, bad news. I think there's one line in there where he mentions how Henry's so often on the nod nowadays that he always has like holes in his shirt from cigarette burns, which yeah. is kind of writer shorthand for it's not good. Like there's not a time that anyone like falls asleep with a cigarette that mm-hmm. they're, you know, on top of their life and like, oh, I was just doing taxes at H&R Block and <laughs> I just fell asleep and, you know, 
Put a put a cigarette burn in my tax return. It's, Dang. it's 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 worth paying a little bit extra to have Jim down at the HR block do my ten forty easy. Exactly. Yeah. You're not like man, I was doing some volunteers, some charity work. Oh yeah. man, Oop, I just nodded off and burned a hole in my shirt. Yeah, and like Eddie, you know, the 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 roles have switched, right? Henry had made such a big deal into kind of henpecking Eddie into sticking around, saying, "Oh, I took so much care of you. You know, you're the only reason you're alive is because I." You know, I, I made sure you didn't die like our little sister. Now the rules have changed, but Eddie doesn't realize it just just yet. Like he tells and he tells Henry, hey, it's like you're looking for a room to looking for a room to die in, you know. But but Balazar has got a real good handle on exactly where everybody is. Yeah. Yeah. So like Balazar smart, too. You know, he's got a real sense for this whole, you know, uh, doing doing illegal things for money business. But yeah, Balazar, he's this big guy and he knows, hey, never trust a junkie. And they, they really lean into, again, this the, the, the symbolism because Balazar's primary avocation is uh, building houses of cards or card towers on his desk, which in a, in, in a book called The Drawing of the Three, where people are represented by tarot cards and also they're going after a tower is a little bit on the nose. Yeah, you don't need to be an English major to see the symbolism in all this. <laughs> yeah. Huh. He's building a tower and anything could tear it down at any moment. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and like especially when he starts like waxing poetic exactly about that. Like sometimes the tower the tower falls for a reason, sometimes the tower uh, falls for nothing, or he doesn't fall for it. And King even says like about the guy who he's explaining this to, like if he had the words for it, he would say um Oh gosh, he would uh, he would say, "Oh, uh, the the this this tower of cards explained the st- the stars themselves or something." Yeah, like yeah. That. our lives are like yeah. these things that I build. Yep. <laughs> Which yeah, there's the and then there's the other. It, it, he straight up says, uh, "Carlo Chimi Dreto thought this the most profound statement of the human condition he had ever heard." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great line for an author to put in. Man, and this last chapter was the best thing that has ever been written. <laughs> Okay, so so backing off of that, it is a really dumb thing. I also like the idea of this kind of like English 101, just like really like, you know, laying it on thick. That oh, like, I'm th- not th- saying <laughs> I wasn't moved by it. I was moved. I was like, this is really but great. Like, but like, like, we recognize it as cheesy and maybe it plays out like, okay, Balazar has a little bit of a grasp on this, but like, it's, it's real, it's real small potatoes. The fact that people around him are entranced by it says more about them than it does about him. I haven't yeah. reread the series in a while, so I'll have to put a note in my head. There was there was one moment where he says that the tower was nine levels high before it collapsed. The mm-hmm. one time that he was building the the best tower that he had ever built. Oh yeah. Um. So I, I made a little little note to myself in my head. I'm like, okay, find out if that ever comes up again in the books. <laughs> yeah, we are we are before the age of nineteen at this point. So, hmm. Nine again. You, you can get lost looking at these numbers, <laughs> but the uh, the pizza truck arrives and Roland sees the sign, you know, glowing this tower, and in his de- in his delirium and obsession, starts reciting the names of his fallen friends and saying, "We found it. We found it uh, on this shittily animated neon sign." What a bummerino, huh? Yeah, poor, poor Roland. Like, you're like, wow, you know, I had that weird thing with Walter in the desert and I lost 10 years of my life. But the tower's right here. Great day. So, you know, Eddie says, oh, it's like the one in Pisa. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then they go in. 
And uh, this actually shows, yes, Henry does die here. He dies by taking the last rocket. He died five minutes before anybody got there. And so the, this kind of plays out like the like the I think the last word that uh, that Henry says is Walter Brennan, because they, you know, they're 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 goading him on saying, hey, you know, again, playing Trivial Pursuit, you know, who is this country singer known for Folsom Prison Blues, et cetera, et cetera, leading him into it. He says, Walter Brennan, you know, the famous actor. Um, <laughs> and then and then he passes. He, he passes away. Easy peasy. Beautiful cover girl so so you have this kind of funny you know comedy movie kind of thing where like eventually they're they're trying to like cut in as balazar is doing stuff like hey boss boss hey hey boss uh i would really think and then nothing again this is gonna make the best couple episodes of a series or the best scene in the movie yep yeah it's Uh, gonna be really intense yeah I really hope they haven't given up on the uh, on the idea of doing uh, do, do, doing some of the stuff as a mini series. Well, I guess they I guess they haven't right because they're doing, they're doing uh, Wizard and Glass as a mini series. Yeah, that was last I heard that that was still going ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, when I when I had the when I got the notion that they were that they were doing the uh, the, the the books as like alternating movies and series like the the series would actually work really well like that. Like, Hey, movie of the gunslinger series where we introduce the new characters. Wasteland is obviously a thing. So just basically all the even books seem like they would have a better treatment, like a, a, like serialized like that. Hmm. That's, that's a fair point. That's interesting about the even numbers too. Yeah. But yeah. And then Eddie gets in and uh, has a confrontation with, uh, with, with Balazar where again, it's like a mirror version of the, uh, of the DEA interrogation. So, what do you guys think about the way that uh, that, that Eddie and Balazar kind of kind of interact? That uh, that that uh, kind of mirroring of the DEA thing. I I love how sharp Balazar is because obviously he's a he's a scholar of men, and with everything that he can see Eddie's saying, he's like, "This guy is telling the truth." But there's just no way that what Eddie's saying, like, "Yeah, I'm just going to go in this room." gonna be awesome i'm gonna come out with like some pounds of drugs no big deal and it's the same thing like you said that we saw with dea agents where it's just the impossibility of it with regard to how this guy is acting Mm -hmm. it's just impossible for him to reconcile yeah they 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 notice that like he's listening to people who aren't there as he's uh as as he's going about this because like he is conferring with roland in his head while this is while, while this is going on um and you know balazar with his with his fascination with with cards is like hey this is like a magic trick how are you going to you know pull this uh pull this two pounds of cocaine out of your hat yeah yeah so the way this ends up working out is you know eddie wants to go into the bathroom alone so he can reach and you know, reach through the door get the get the coke and bring it out and then hey we get henry back and everybody's everybody's a-okay but balazar he has no idea what's up but he knows something is up so he demands that eddie strip uh get another rectal exam um after which, which <laughs> good one of one of the less uh less pleasant short descriptions in the book this was a much rougher rectal exam. Um, I, I guess you do want to have the polis do it as opposed to a mafioso, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, there there would be a little bit more, uh, let's say, courtesy associated with the other one, or at least uh, um, pro- pro- professional cleanliness standards. Like, after this one is done, Balazar uh, sends, uh, I think it's Jack Andalini's brother, uh, to the kitchen to wash off. No, don't cross-contaminate the kitchen. <laughs> 
you monsters. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this was before New York City had those A, B, C, D, and E, F ratings, like on all <laughs> yeah, the, no the hygiene no. in the back, like the pizza place, you know? Like now it would probably get an F or a D, but back then they were like, hey, it's pizza, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hot. It's fine. Yeah. If somebody challenged you, they just say, hey, it's New York. <laughs> exactly. We we all have hepatitis A. <laughs> yeah, I I really wish that uh that uh my wife Jessica could be on here just to kind of talk about New York cuz she went there a few months ago for work uh-huh. and uh pretty much pretty much hated it uh completely very much the entire time. And I kind of feel like she could speak to the the yeah yeah but this is new york sort of aspect of this chapter <laughs> so so this is very specifically like a like a pre giuliani like oh they turned they turned uh, times square into uh into disneyland style new york so obviously it's the it's it's the it's the rougher and grittier one man there are a lot of there are a lot of like media tropes about new york that i just do not like I think they even like bring like they 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 comment on that later because you know New York kind of features heavily. This is the second or third time we've gone there so far um, in the in the story, and it's 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 not going to stop happening. So we're kind of stuck with this, and we're stuck with like these almost like postcard versions of stuff that happens there. Speaking of that, there was a line in there when I think it was right after Roland saw the tower where he was like, "Oh gosh," and Eddie was telling him. Be cool. Just be cool. And it reminded me so much of Pulp Fiction. Like, what is Fonzie like, Roland? He's cool. Just be cool. <laughs> I know not this Fonzie you speak of. Is he a, <laughs> yeah, is he a exactly. lord of your barony? <laughs> yes, Lord Fonzo. <laughs> From Midworld. <laughs> a. Uh, so that, was, that was dumb. Don't reward that. <laughs> But um but yeah, so we have Eddie naked in the bathroom, Henry dead in the other room, people afraid to say, Jack Andalini standing in the bathroom with him. As we enter a very prolonged and very intense section of the book, knowing that um Eddie can't go through the door without Andalini Andalini catching wise, change of plans, Roland comes forward in what is an amazing like short two sentence trend like um kind of description of of what happened like the smile turned into a snarl and his eyes eyes turned blue as he screamed now eddie in a voice that wasn't his own mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, good that is specifically uh what i'm looking forward to seeing on screen <laughs> There's a lot of things about the way that this is like written. Like I think at the beginning of this section that we're talking about, there was a thing where Roland shoved his fist into Eddie's um, sleeve, but then he turns and he's holding the jacket for Eddie to get into. I mean, I think that the the CGI they could do for this would be fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, just where they're uh, where, where they're dressing each other as they're sharing a body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way that you said that sounds very erotic, and I'm hoping it's not that erotic, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> right, just more light and fun. Oh, just two bros sharing a body and yeah. dressing each other. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just described the plot to the Fairly Brothers movie stuck on you. Um, <laughs> I think Matt Damon was in that. That's very weird to me. Um, so now um, they've dragged Andalini onto the beach, and this is where things get really, 
really grisly in a way that uh, uh, descriptions of hands up butts uh, haven't been so far in this chapter. Those are pretty grisly, but they are not a person standing there with the stump of a hand and nothing above the face except a uh, uh, nothing above their neck except uh, a, a wide open uh, black hole where their mouth was. You know, we we, we kind of missed an opportunity here as well, because, you know, if you think about it, they could have just lured the lobsterosities up on the beach and it could have been like gremlins, too, when the gremlins <laughs> are all loose in New York City. Like oh, the lobsterosities God. are eating pizza. They're like swinging from chandeliers. I mean, like Muppets take um, or lobsterosities take Manhattan would have been a great um, <laughs> interlude, you know, it's a lobster revolution. A lobster revolution, but yeah, like, wow, did you feed the lobsterosities after midnight? Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, they feed all the time. They're fucking yeah. monsters. There's the pretty lady lobsterosity. <laughs> There's the lobsterosity made out of Wear electricity. Wearing lipstick. <laughs> ends, up, ends up marrying Balazar at the end. It's a living. <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> Man, I, I really love that BuzzFeed list, uh, Disney princesses, if they were lobsterosities. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's you know it's I, so I took the charming. test and yeah. I'm actually Lobster Bell because I love to read. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a I'm more of a Lobster Jasmine because I'm quiet but principled. <laughs> Evan, come on! I'm, I'm I'm trying to think of a pun and uh, it's just not happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we get the next best thing because if you can't po- take the lo- go good. Poclahontas? Poclahontas is that's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty oh, good. Oh, you, you done chopped off uh, John Smith's fingers, Poclahontas. <laughs> <laughs> Just skitter noises everywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do, Data Chuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> But we get the next best thing, because even though uh, they don't take the lobsterosities to New York, they can take the New York to the lobsterosity with this one in a million shot where Roland um, blows up Jack Andalini's uh, gun in his hand and coldly describes the the mechanics of what happened as Eddie says, finish him off before they before. Uh, oh, and then the lobsters get him. <laughs> You, such a dick. you mentioned the coldness like there's like a really baller move in there when roland's like oh there's gonna be some shooting and eddie's like is there and roland's like oh quite a lot of it i think <laughs> there's some swagger right there yeah like uh, we're gonna have to get ready for it but um you know so knowing that this is not going to pass and they still they, they still need uh something uh from uh from from the other side Roland reluctantly gives his gun to a to a reluctant Eddie. Um, there's there, there's there, there's a great line like only the best had ever held this baby until until today. That is like neither of them want this to happen. But yes, there's going to be quite a bit of shooting indeed. As uh, as as Balazar um, himself even pulls out his three fifty seven and the tower falls. Uh, you guys are going to have to dumb this down for me. Could that be a metaphor? <laughs> I think it's a simile. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna need uh adjudication evan which do you think yeah it's it's time to go to the wikipedia page <laughs> oh, i was, I, for, I, uh, for I was distracted i was I, I was looking for a for a specific line and uh, i wasn't paying attention what oh. what is the <laughs> no just uh when balazar gets his know, weapon me- metaphor versus simile but uh... yeah yeah but when balazar gets his weapon and the uh, and the tower falls 
I I liked at one point how snooty Roland was when he was talking about um, Claudio's gun, and he's like, "It's a cheap little thing, not much more than a toy." Yeah. And touching it made him feel gross. Yeah, like, well, wow. <laughs> well, like he even turns that into an Owen because because later he ends up having to having to use Claudio's gun. Claudio being the the guy who uh, who, who treated uh, Eddie like he was a muppet, um, uh, just by saying like, "Oh, he took this you know chintzy little plastic semi-automatic and uh, finished everybody off with it because his own gun was misfiring all the time." He's like, "Oh, it it makes sense that I would kill a loathsome person with a loathsome weapon." But yeah, Mister Ivory Tower Gilead is like, "Oh, <laughs> I mean, we." It, you know, some of us grew up on the mean streets and we don't have sandalwood handle on our pistols from our dads, you know? <laughs> yeah, sometimes we have to get by with a Saturday night special. Exactly. Yeah. Did you find your line, Evan? Um, you you, you guys keep moving past it. Oh. <laughs> I'm I'm just trying to catch up now. Yeah. Was, uh... we're, we're just gonna walk it back more like so Eddie's sitting on a plane. <laughs> the customs wait. agents are about to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, we, we we did get a little bit of a, a little bit ahead of ourselves because we get out and there is this uh, you know back and forth with, uh, with 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 these shots you know and again we have these these little snippets here like oh now he had no face where there had been one there was now nothing but a churned mess of raw flesh and the black screaming hole of a mouth again that was Jack back there um, uh, and uh, Eddie saying like hey you know we're gonna we're gonna go to war but not before they find Balazar's stash. Which, just so you know, he's a bad guy. There's some child porn in there. Yeah, that's uh, <sighs> like it. It he was does already the a job, bad enough guy. You didn't. That's the thing. Like I, <laughs> you, you already kind of hate Balazar. Like they didn't. Yeah. That, that was... He buried a guy under a chicken house, like so that birds could. Uh, I mean, his words, not mine, shit on him for eternity because he knocked down a card tower. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we're not just going to kill this guy. I've yeah. got a great idea. Did you do what I said? Did you bury him under a chicken house? Like, Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, the, I think the that magazine being back there is a bit of an extravagance, but he does have uh, 10 packages of Keflex, which is um, an antibiotic. They go to uh, great pains to, uh, to, to, to say. But then Eddie, um, upon hearing that Henry is dead, finally, uh, one of the gentlemen spe- uh, 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 speaks up. He goes power sliding across the floor, guns a-blazing like Jack Black and Tenacious D. Yeah, with just one of the most epic descriptions <laughs> in, in this entire book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, whizzing along the floor like some kid in a disco contest. A kid so jived up he didn't realize he'd left his, his entire John Travolta outfit, underwear included, behind. And keep in <laughs> mind at this point, he is still naked as a jaybird. So this is some straight oh, yeah. up Eastern Promises shit. Yeah. Wow, that's a really good reference. I was uh, sorry, it took me a second. I was like, <laughs> and he's covered in tattoos of the tower that mean things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, like that, that is seriously one of my favorite um one of my favorite action scenes of all time and one of the reasons why i have an awful lot of affection for this as well because like fighting naked screaming like eddie's been in some pretty low points up 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 till now you know shaking suffering from heroin heroin withdrawal we're we're gonna see more of that later on uh just all of these all of these uh de- de- degradations um, all of these just uh, terrible things happening to him, and now he's at his very lowest, actually with some fight in him right now, and uh, he's doing it in the most badass way possible. 
they did some foreshadowing too, because Balazar knew, and I mean, Roland knew as well. Like, oh, you 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 poke the bear with the stick, and the stick is his brother. You, you know, like <laughs> you're like, oh, oh, your brother, and Eddie just bristles, bristles, bristles. So I mean, it it's got to be in some ways uh, no surprise to anybody when yeah. oh oh that was the straw that broke that camel's back. <laughs> he, he Eddie Eddie slides out, and he's he's doing his his action movie stuff, and then it it's a lot less dignified for everybody else <laughs> even though eddie's the one who's naked yeah which is kind of a strange sort of thing but like yeah. you know the first the first person that that we see after after eddie slides out besides eddie and roland is uh chimi dreto who gets hit uh by by roland's shot and is basically just saying oh geez over and over again <laughs> yep. Like he doesn't realize what happened, and yeah. <laughs> what's described as happening to Chimi Dreto is uh, his guts hit the wall before he the, before the rest of them did. Yeah, um, was that him? No, that was uh, that was Claudio. I thought. Oh yeah, maybe. Shit. Yeah, Chimi 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 gets hit uh, gets hit in the chest, and mm. then uh, and as then. if someone had strung as, as if someone had swung a sledgehammer at a barrel. <laughs> so brutal and i, I yeah. know roland only had misfires maybe three times or somewhere around there it felt like getting punched in the chest and i felt like it happened a thousand times not not mm -hmm. in a bad way but like oh god he's I, I was just instantly back on the beach with the lobstrosities everywhere you know and i was like oh misfire yeah oh the wet shells i mean it just <laughs> Uh, that, that was that was a nice way to carry forward the most depressing intro ever. Yeah, the uh, yeah. The, the, the 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 misfires are such a are such a thing for the majority of this book. Back in the previous kind of section, when he when he blows up Jack Andolini, like King does this thing where he has these like small little like sub chapters, you know, broken up. One whole sub chapter. Yeah. It's just sixteen. This was no misfire, <laughs> which I love. Uh, Ray Bradbury does that a lot too. I think it's in the Martian Chronicles. There's a chapter, and the entirety of the chapter is, uh, I think it's nothing, nothing much else of note happened that day or something like that. <laughs> and that's his, the whole chapter. His nose was unremarkable. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so good. Just and, and you know you don't want to see it all the time, but I'm 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 a big fan of that as a. As a literary device in, in terms yeah. of just kind of like breaking up the text and showing the, the, the passage of events and adding <laughs> significance or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interrupt the pattern. It's yeah. pretty, pretty it is. It is very effective, especially here. But yeah, um, uh, one of them, Claudio's guts uh, hit, hit, hit the wall. Chimi uh, gets his cast, gets his chest caved in like a barrel. Um, part of Balazar's shoulder disintegrates into red spray. Like, and, you know, keep in mind, like, during this, everybody else is firing wild. Like, all of the cheap, like, wood paneling is being shredded off the walls. Like, by the end of this, it's like a... It's like the aftermath of a, of a shootout in the game Fear or something like that. Like, there's nothing left of anything. Like, everything is... Uh, is, is just destroyed. Good. And except for the supernatural thing, I, I got to extend a compliment to Balazar in this. I mean, he knew right from the get go. He's like, get the spook. Don't worry about the little junkie. Get that guy. That <laughs> yep. guy is tough stuff right there. I mean, his instincts were all right. I mean, yeah. with Eddie telling the truth and everything, but he, he just never could have foreseen, you know, there's going to be a door behind a guy and that's where your <laughs> drugs are. I mean, it's just, it's too implausible, but yeah. I mean, 
my dude's instincts were right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so situational uh, awareness. We didn't even say that. Roland comes through. He's in. He's in Eddie's world now. Like that door swings both ways. And even though Roland is completely starved and you know dying at this point, running just on adrenaline and, and Pepsi sugar, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know he, he he's in here. Um, doing whatever work these mafiosos don't do on themselves. So yeah. Trix Postino comes out with this wonderful Rambo machine, an M16, um, and uh, <laughs> accidentally shoots a guy who's who's about to shoot Eddie with a sawed-off shotgun. Like he just one of the one of the dumbest, dumbest best scenes. <laughs> It's so good because they, because King pumps the brakes. Like I'm not sure whose voice this is in, but like pumps the brake and like gives a filibuster about why these guns suck. Like okay, well one of two things is going to happen. Um, you, the aim is going to pull back, and also you're going to swing from side to side. Uh, <laughs> what is it? In short, only a moron or a movie star would attempt to use such a gun. He <laughs> might as well just pull out the flamethrower from Scarface, right? Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm gonna burn you. Don't stand 16 feet away from me, though. <laughs> yeah, then at, at, at the very end, it's uh, Trix was screaming with the joyous hysteria of a man who has seen too many movies to be able to distinguish between what the script in his head says should be happening and what yeah. really is. Yeah, all that he knew was that he shot and killed some people. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, and and. Eddie thinks of it as a this perfect marvel of idiocy, which is just a, a really wonderful combination of words. Eddie pulled the trigger and vaporized tricks from the eyebrows up. So now we're back to, you know, visceral horror yep. type uh, stuff. Lend, so, lend, in a okay. bunch, lend in a bunch of headshots. Uh, Roland puts five in Balazar's chest. Um, <laughs> and, but, but the, okay. the real casualty here is to, I think there was one little part where Balazar had a March of Dimes uh, plaque or trophy and that got all shot up which is I mean, that, that's sad you know I mean what, what a humanitarian he had a March of Dimes trophy <laughs> oh yeah it was like pictures of uh pictures of balazar like giving yeah, all this great humanitarian efforts yeah yeah uh, he, he was uh he was handing out uh handing out trophies at the at the police sponsored little league team <laughs> Exactly. It is very Breaking Bad, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm down. I'm down with the mafioso stuff about this. I just love to support the police with some chicken and some March of Dimes. Yep. We're going to donate. We're going to get them back on their feet. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So. So, yeah, like this is like this is all the carnage. Everybody. Everybody's dead. And there's a little interlude here, which is another kind of another little eye roll thing. Like it's only it only feels effective if you read it as as Roland kind of being self-aggrandizing and self-pitying at the same time where Roland thinks to himself, like noticing the fact that Eddie is kind of coming out and displaying this act of heroism, says, here's another here's another one ready to die for you, Roland. What great wrong did you ever do uh, that you should inspire such terrible loyalty in so many? <laughs> Roland, what did you do to be so terribly awesome? Why am I so charismatic? <laughs> what a burden. Like what a hump that's the original humble brag, right? Like my feet are so tired from standing on the red carpet. Like, oh <laughs> yep. why do I keep inspiring terrible loyalty? <laughs> oh, my back hurts from carrying this all this huge penis around. Exactly. Like- <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Like like what was your guys' read on that? Did you react as strongly as I did? Yeah, it's it's pretty heavy handed, I thought. Yeah. I mean, like, 
Rowan's just, probably the only person that could get away with saying that in the world, though, right? You're like, <laughs> oh, it is a terrible burden for him. He's the only guy that doesn't enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess just the the phrase "terrible loyalty" like that that might be where my reaction was because that's that's such a overblown melodramatic phrase. And it's like you know that's oh that's that's my favorite Decemberists album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so- it, it just it, it it just kind of feels over the top when everything's already over the top. Yeah. You know, uh, so the, 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 there is a charitable read on it, which is which is that he, you know, he does feel guilty over the situation that he has. He has dragged um, this person into. Um, but, you know, the, like also this would have happened anyway. You know, or something like it would have. He's here saving him. I don't know. I, the, I think the, the one, one thing that might make the line work is we think everything's over, right? Like... He he's saying this and oh it's over you know I think they mentioned that like the the office Balzar's office is just like a ruin but there's still one last surprise with Henry Dean right yeah we got our buddy here I think he's uh, one one of the Irish guys who came in like asking for something early on like he's uh, he's one of the associates this Kevin Blake who says like hey Eddie catch um and then hurls Henry Dean's head out directly at Eddie. Which I have to say, I did not remember. This is probably one of my, like, I usually tend to skip ahead to the Wastelands and the the reread. So I was rereading this, um, you know, I probably hadn't read this book in particular in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, well, the shoot up's over. Looking forward to get, holy moly. (laughs) I don't know why I didn't remember it, but. I don't know either. They throw his head. (laughs) They're not playing around. (laughs) It's really bad. Yeah. That's a bad thing to do. <laughs> Maybe I just fugued. Like I blocked it out, and I'm like, everything's great now. Roland has a new friend. Like, well, then, and and Eddie doesn't take it well. <laughs> no, no. At, not at all. <laughs> you think you'd be able to be a sport about this? Yeah, like you oh, knew like, your brother was dead. Come on, yeah, none of this is news. <laughs> Big Ben, yeah. it's not a surprise. Yeah. But like it's Ooh. it's a trick, it's a gambit, and it works. Yeah, yeah. So he goes he he goes charging, and then and then ultimately, you know, Roland is able to take out the ambush. But like what we're what we're left with is 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 Eddie dry firing his gun as though he couldn't be killed, as though this guy couldn't be killed enough. You know, as Eddie kind of knocks Roland out for trying to get him to move along, and then just cradles his brother's head. As as he sits naked on the floor of this shot out building as the as the SWAT team is rolling in. Yeah. yeah. Which is it's as as a kind of a coda to this huge over the top ridiculous gunfight, it's that is always the image that kind of sticks with me when I'm thinking about this scene as a whole. Like not not the crazy awesome action or the 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 wonderful Rambo machine or <laughs> any of that it's 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 that image of Eddie sitting naked holding his brother's severed head oh, while God. everything falls apart around him. Jesus, like that's yeah. that's kind of a hell of a way to end a scene on and <laughs> and it's 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 also it's you know pretty obviously like oh that's the the 
Eddie is, I think it even says like Eddie, this might be getting ahead of us, but in the, in the, the shuffle between chapters, mm-hmm. you know, Eddie was not talking to keep Henry alive. Eddie was talking to bury Henry for good. Yeah. And, I, and so it's, you know, on, on the one hand, like I, I could see if people are kind of not into the, the heavy handedness of that particular image, but I, I feel like in, in this book, especially more than uh, any of the books going forward, King kind of tries to swing for the fences and when he hits, it's, it's really, really evocative and moving and uh, yeah. unsettling on a very base sort of level. Yeah. And then later he tries to swing for the fences and uh, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't do that. <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, I'm so glad that we have another little scene after this, because if we had to go right from Eddie holding his brother several head into our Twitter handles, <laughs> that would be a heartbreaker right there. Like, tune in for the next cheerful episode. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know if you'll believe it, but it's going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's um. so th- like th- th- this works for me. It's a very powerful image because we're going to we're, we're, we're going to get. Uh, kind of kind of kind of more of a sense of what happens here but like this whole section of the book eddie's whole interaction with roland has been circumstances conspiring to strip him of everything that is keeping him here right it is you know like he, he is stuck in a very tangled situation he is hooked on drugs he has a deadbeat a deadbeat semi-abusive brother who you know doesn't have his best interest in mind is manipulating him but who he you know loves dearly and kind of is treating him as you know it's just a fucked up relationship and also he's in hawk with the mob and everything that we're seeing here up until this moment where he's naked and holding his dead brother's head is like okay there's nothing left for you here and you could argue that roland manipulates him like he says hey like there's nothing left for you so why don't you come i can you know all i can promise you is death but you may get to see the tower and i mean he also already spent his last five dollars on a meat thing and a pepsi (laughs) yeah yeah so like there's there's nothing for him and he's he's in a he's he's in a situation where he has he has no choice but to say yes almost yeah yeah and, but Roland does, I mean, he, he does kind of, because Roland hasn't been to the tower, and he's like, oh, the tower, it's great. Oh, what if you could see this amazing, I mean, it's it's like saying, like, oh, you got to come to Disney World, and when you get to Disney World, like, I mean, Roland's never been to Disney World. He doesn't know what's happening. Like, he doesn't know it's like $27 for an ice cream, you know? <laughs> he's, he's like the kid who's telling stories about being at Disney World, but, like, he's just trying to impress people. Yeah, on Space Mountain, you literally go to space. Yeah. That's why they call it Space Mountain. It's like that movie Space Camp, but it's real. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, the, the um, yeah, the, there's Eddie. Eddie's kind of despondent and not wanting to go. And I, yeah, I, I, I feel like Roland kind of does manipulate him into going, but it's not like Eddie's on the losing end of that. Right. Um, no, I mean, yeah. the, the, the police are shooting tear gas into the room as they make their exit. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think it's interesting how at the end of this chapter, uh, Roland refers to him as prisoner again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're 
you you are currently a prisoner of your your vices and your addictions and your dysfunctional relationship with your brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, you can also become a very literal prisoner of the SWAT team coming in right now. And by the way, you've already had two cavity searches today. What do you think the SWAT team is going to (laughs) do? Well, they're going to give them a couple more cavities. Just throwing it out there. (laughs) Eddie doesn't seem very averse to what's happening. Hashtag Uh, tower. (laughs) So, so, so like that's, that's where we leave it. But with one, one little one little change, you know, as as Roland is, you know, kind of taking him through and thinking, hey, you know, this this may not be bad. I'm just going to read a quote here. Uh, he had seen this hag ridden man. Great turn of phrase there. Uh, behave with all the dignity of a born gunslinger in spite of gunslinger, in spite of his addiction um, and the fact that he had been forced to fight as naked as the day he was born. He wanted Eddie to decide for himself. So, like, he doesn't, like, drag him bodily through the door. He gives Eddie a chance to kiss Henry goodbye. But then when he's on the other yeah. side, as the door is closing, Eddie goes into a full on panic attack about his heroin. He wants to go back and get his one last fix from the from the desk. Let me just have one thing, Roland. Yeah. Come on, my brother's dead. Just let me have one nice day. Yeah. So yeah, it's and and I I, I do like the Roland wanting Eddie to decide for himself, and that kind of also goes back to the you know what's what's on the other side of that door. If you tell me, maybe I'll go. But if you lie, I'll know it. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably death. But before that happens, I don't think you'll be bored. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you you can't ask for, for more honesty than that. I don't yeah, think. That's all that Roland knows. That was the original tagline for Disney World, right? That was what Walt <laughs> Disney said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably death. But, you know, I mean, before that, Space Mountain. Death, be awesome. Death awaits, but not boredom. Yeah. Death in the vacuum of space. <laughs> Yeah. And so this is how we end with Roland telling Eddie, hey, that part of your life is over. And Roland taking medicine from our world, this chieflet, the Keflex, killer cure. And now we have this to deal with. So next time we're going to do the kind of interstitial uh, chapter, the, 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 the shuffle. Um, where we have Eddie on the, uh, on the other side here. And then we're going to go up uh, through Detta and Odetta and then ringing the changes. Um, so that'll be the first part of uh, the Lady of Shadows uh, section of the book. And we invite you to read along. Um, Autumn, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me in the Radio Free Midworld chat on the Duckfeed Slack. You can also find me on Twitter at, at Mrs. Greer. That's M I S S U S Greer. Yeah. Evan, how about you? Uh, I am at Mr. Underscore Harder, uh, all spelled out on Twitter and uh, and in the Duckfeed Slack, which I am not really logged into <laughs> as often as I probably should be, but I'll try to be better about that. Oh, you pop in every once in a while. It's fine. It's a big, yeah, it's I, a big time commitment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I also I, I think it's just that I haven't really totally learned how to effectively use slack and oh, so it's yeah. uh overwhelming <laughs> and terrifying yeah there's a lot of a lot of channels uh way too many actually yeah <laughs> um but yeah you can find me there uh you can find me on most other social networks evanjonesthorn.com has my uh kind of a general overview of what i've got going on uh if you care that much about me <laughs> Yep, and you can find me at uh, at, at Cole Ross on Twitter. 
um, and do a bunch of other shows at uh, duckfeed.tv, including a new show about the band REM um, that has uh, been up uh, for a little bit as the time you as the as of the time you've heard this. But I encourage you to check it out. It's called File Underwater. Um, and for this show, you know, the usual stuff. We love the ratings and reviews we've gotten on iTunes. People have been super nice. Um, I've really uh, enjoyed seeing people talk about the show on uh, social media and message boards. So I'd love if you uh, continue doing that. That's great. I notice uh, because I am a vain small man who will uh, who searches for that stuff kind of regularly. But most of all, continue listening. Thank you, um, Autumn and Evan, for uh, for joining us this time. And yeah, thank you, Cole. And, uh, <laughs> and also, if... Uh, you know, if, if, if you're not going to mention it, I, I will this time around. But mm-hmm. um, if if you aren't already, go to patreon.com forward slash duckfeed TV uh, because the people that did that in the past are the only reason that this show is happening in the present. So that's a really cool thing. And I'm really happy that I get to be a part of it. And uh, Duckfeed is doing some really amazing stuff. And support them if you can. Oh, well, thank, great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, both of you. So uh, with that in mind, uh, take care. Uh, We'll talk to you uh, sometime in about two weeks. And until then, long days and pleasant nights. And until then, you won't be bored. (laughs) 